Well, this week we've got one of one of gospel music's favorites, but I would dare say one of one of the favorites in all of Christendom on the phone. Mark Lowry is not only a Christian singer, gospel singer, he's a Christian comedian, but he's got some really deep, profound thoughts as well. And we're going to talk to him and catch up with uh, not only what's been happening lately, but we're going to go way we're going to go way back. We're going to find out. We'll find out if all those mama stories are true. Mark, thanks for joining us. Daniel, it's good to be with you. Hey, uh, how how far back does gospel music go with you? Did you grow up listening to it? Well, I was, yeah, of course. I was raised in a Baptist church in Houston, Texas, and all we had was Gaither music and uh, John W. Peterson. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. And a few others, of course, Fanny Crosby. But when Bill Gaither came along, I was probably around, well, I was probably about five years old when I first learned of him. Because we started singing his songs in church, and I never dreamed one day I'd know him. Yeah. But uh, we started singing. Then I started singing. Then I sang the first time in church when I was four, and then I went to my first Southern Gospel concert when I was eleven, and I heard the Singing Rambos, the Happy Goodman Family. I was eleven years old. I was sitting on the front row of the Jones Music Hall in Houston, Texas. Oh my Lord, have mercy. When the Rambos came out, and I saw Buck, Dottie, and Reba, and heard that harmony that where they would kind of pull against the beat, you know, they kind of and slip and slide and slur, and, and those incredible Dottie Rambo lyrics, which encouraged me to want to write lyrics. Uh, and then I, I loved the Happy Goodman family. And, you know, I liked the Bill Gaither trio, yeah. but they didn't have the magic, the charisma, that, and they'll admit this. They had great songs and great harmonies, but, you know, they're Yankees. They don't know how to fire up a stage. But Vestal did, and Dottie did, and, um, uh, you know, they eventually learned, I guess. But, my goodness, the Goodmans and the Rambos, they were the two groups that really inducted me into gospel music. You were talking about the Bill Gaither trio. Do you think that's why they uh, had so many uh, guest singers come in that they traveled with, like Sandy Patty and, and Steve Green, that they would put on the platform with them? Well, you know, they were packing out coliseums before anybody was. The Gaither trio, way before uh, Sandy, way before Larnell or, or anybody else you can think of. I mean, as far as packing out arenas, they're the first gospel group I've ever known to do it. And uh, then Bill just decided to add more to his stage, you know, give others a chance to stand on his platform. And Sandy, Larnell, Steve, uh, me, and others have just shot off from that platform to uh, do our own things. And none of us uh, probably have acquired the same uh, amount of success as Bill has. But, you know, the thing is, Bill Gaither's made all of us stars. And in the process, he's become a legend. Hmm. That, that's so. That's so true, and I, uh, I've, I've heard you say that that um, that he's built a career on making everybody else look good. Well, that's that's what he told me. He said that's what he was supposed to do. Yeah. That's what he's been called to do, just to, you know, get good music out there. And his music has changed the music of the church, without yeah. a doubt, more than anybody else, probably in our lifetime. And um, you know, 
propagate good ideas. You know, he always starts a song with a good idea. If he didn't have a good idea, he didn't sit down to write. <laughs> but he's always looking for ideas, always looking for hooks. He has a book that he carries with him called a hook book. Yeah. yeah. And, um, of course, he married a lyric machine. Is the hook book true? I've, I've heard rumors of that. Does he really carry one? Oh, yeah. He's got a hook book. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he... Um, you know, I'd love to have that hook book, wouldn't you? Oh, Especially oh. when he's gone. I'd love to have it just for the museum. You know, because that's, that's just an amazing thing. That, wouldn't you love to see Fanny Crosby's hook book? Oh, good gracious. Yeah. I wonder if she had one. Well, she was blind, wasn't she? Yeah, she was, she'd have to have hers in Braille, but you, know, you could still have one. <laughs> but she is uh, was always a hero of mine, Fanny Crosby. And then, of course, getting to know the Gaithers has been like a double added bonus because I already loved them but then I got to know them and once I got to know them I loved them more because they are wonderful people I mean just really good salt of the earth people once you get to know them you kind of forget that they're Bill and Gloria they just become Bill and Gloria it's it's, it's a different you know thing because uh, they're so down to earth so common um, you know shy really Gloria especially is very shy hmm. until you get to know her and um but they're just normal people they've just done a really a normal thing they've used the gifts god gave them and uh, the blessings came now you so you mentioned the bill gaither trio you mentioned the happy goodmans and the uh the rambos uh do you have any of of, of their early collections still from your childhood i have the rambos yeah in fact did you know i have a copy, a video copy of the last concert the Rambos ever sang. Really? And the way I got that was I went to their home for dinner one night. That's right. Yeah. And um, I saw a video camera. This is probably about 1991. I saw a video camera uh, laying there on the couch. And I hadn't seen many video cameras because, you know, I didn't have one. And I said, why don't y'all sing tonight for me? And they said, oh, we haven't sung in 10 years together. And I said, well, then it's about time. And they said, no, nah, we don't want it. We don't want it. And I said, listen, I've enjoyed the meal. Do you want me to go home? I mean, ever? Because I'm not leaving till y'all sing. And I just pitched one of my fits and finally got Donnie McGuire on the piano, Buck, Dottie, and Reba to sit down. And I had Dee Dee Oldham, who was also there, hold the camera. And I stuck my head right in the middle of their voices. And once they started, they couldn't stop. They sang, they started off with too much to gain to lose and went into the holy hills of heaven, call me if that isn't love. Mama's teaching angels how to sing. Uh -huh. I mean, it was an amazing moment. And they never sang again because shortly after that, you know, Buck and Dottie got divorced. Yeah. And so they've not sung since and probably won't ever sing again. So I have the copy of the last time they ever sang. Of course, I've made copies for... Buck, Dottie, Reba, and their grandkids, and all of it, you know. Sure, Because uh, sure. it's really theirs. I'm not going to do anything with it, because it's theirs to, you know, I just, I just made them do it. And now they're glad I did. Were, were they as good as you remembered in, uh, there in that raw format? Absolutely. They had not lost any pitches. Uh, I finally realized how important Buck was, because, you know, I'd only been singing baritone, for a few years, and I always thought Reba and Dottie were the big stars of the group. Well, everybody always thinks the high voices are the stars, <laughs> but the lower voices are the glue that holds yeah. the thing together, especially the baritone. 
and I may be prejudiced in that area, but the <laughs> baritone is the glue that holds the quartet together. There's no doubt about it. Because you, your part is not logical. Right. It moves around. It just fills holes. That's all that part does is just fill holes. So I've learned to respect that part. And I've, in the process, I've learned to realize how incredible Buck Rambo was. He blended like flour in a cake. <laughs> and uh, he was the platform on which Reba and, uh, Reba and Dottie could soar, you know. And so I, I, it was good to hear them again. But I still have the CD. I'll have to make you one. Oh, yeah. I, I've seen a, a clip on your website, I think. Yeah, you can watch the whole thing on my website, actually. Hey, uh, and this is this question comes with all respect. I'm not I'm not trying to say Mark Lowry's a phony, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you t- you talked about baritone, uh, and you talked about how it's kind of the stepchild. It kind of gets overlooked, and you also talked about how you didn't read music when you joined the vocal band, and so they had to sing you the baritone part, and you had to learn that part uh, as if it were the melody line. Well, I did that on the national anthem. They, yeah, they always had to sing me my part, but nothing has been as hard as the national anthem. So Guy Penrod literally recorded my part all by himself so I could just hear it because it, the harmonies were so tight, I could not hear it. And uh, when I first joined the group, I couldn't hear it at all. But after a few years, I began to figure out the baritone and how it works and Still, Bill would have to sing it in my ear sometimes because I'd forget or my mind would wander off. But he did also say, he told one of the new members of, the, of our group one time, he said, if Mark says it's that way, it's that way because that mind is a steel trap. And once it gets in there, you can't change it. <laughs> like if you want to change an arrangement, we have to start over. <laughs> you just can't change it on me i once i've memorized it don't bother me with it again i you know don't go changing it and bill learned that pretty quickly but you know he treated me a lot better than he treated all the other artists that have been there because they're real artists you know he expects when he says a minor third to david phelps you're supposed to be singing a minor third he expects david to know what he's talking about well, I had I didn't have a I still not real sure what a minor third is, but if I hear it, I I can remember it. Well, my my question was this: since since you had to you had to sort of learn the baritone part, if Bill ever threw something impromptu up there, which I hear happened a lot of times, but something that you had not learned, had not rehearsed, or not uh, been privy to the arrangement beforehand, mm-hmm. uh, could you wing it? Oh, if it's if it's simple, if it's you know if it's like living below, you know that old song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean something like that where it's pretty logical. But on something like national anthem, yeah, if I'd never heard it, he he's too smart to do that. <laughs> no, he that never happened. And if he did throw something together, he'd grab Ben Spear, Guy Penrod, David Phelps, and somebody else. You know, I mean he he never called me. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what year were you born, Mark? 1958. 58. And so and so growing up, we talked about your influences, but uh, did you have a pretty uh, normal stay-at-home life? You went to school, or or, or were you well, on the road a lot early on? My uh, dad worked. He's an attorney, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And until I was 11, uh, I went to school like normal kids. And then when I was 11. I went to uh, the National Quartet Convention, which, which at that time was called the uh, International Song Festival. Oh. 
And uh, a friend in our church knew J.G. Whitfield, and he asked J.G. if this kid from his church could come up there and sing. And J.D. said, yeah, bring him on, thinking we'd never come. Well, we did. So he had to put me on the program. And and the next day, after I, I did a national anthem, kind of a medley that my mother had put together. And the next day, uh, I signed a recording contract with uh, Impact, Benson Records. And did two albums with them, and so I immediately went from a vacation to to the road. I had a bus and backup group it was called Mark Lowry and the Impacts, <laughs> and uh, Laddie Kane was our tenor, and he went to the Florida Boys eventually, uh, and the others I don't know what happened to them, but um, it was a couple of years, and then my voice changed, and nobody cared again, which was great, so I could go back to school. And I went to uh, a, pub, uh, a private Christian school. And then when I graduated, I went to Liberty Baptist College, which is now Liberty University. In fact, my old high school is no longer in existence either. It was Greenwood Village Christian School, and now it's gone defunct. So I guess my high school diploma is worth nothing. And I went to Liberty Baptist College and got a degree, but now it's Liberty University. So I guess my diploma is worth nothing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm totally uneducated, Daniel. Uh, well, well, Mark, you've got you've got a whole lot more knowledge than uh, than any paper can tell. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, when did you, so you grew up in Houston? But when did you make the move to Lynchburg? Was that college? That was college. Yeah, I never intended to stay, but I went went there to go to school, and then a few years later, my parents moved up there. Yeah, you know, it's like you turn around once trying to get rid of them, and then they follow you to college, <laughs> and so they still live there. And then I moved from Lynchburg back to Houston, and then to Atlanta, and then to Nashville, and now I have a home in Nashville and a home in Houston. Because my intentions always were to, were to return to Houston. I mean, once you're a Texan, yeah. uh, you know, the Texas superiority complex really is not a complex. We <laughs> we are superior. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but I'll tell you what, our food's better. We have the best Mexican food in the world. It's better than Mexico. I I love that Tex-Mex, and I love the cafeterias, and I love the people. I love the fact that out in the country, you know, if you're driving along, people will pull over to let you pass them. They're not so, you know, they're more laid back, and they're my kind of people. You were just wishing they were laid back the day you, you were on the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, well, I wish that person had been. But you know they just didn't see me. I don't. They didn't do it on purpose. I know, but yeah. they uh, they didn't see me. And uh, uh, some uh, illegal aliens that were standing on the side of the road that um, you know those Mexicans that sneak over here, yeah. they yeah. came to me like good Samaritans and helped wow. me off the road. Wow. I've never seen such sweet smiling faces because I couldn't walk. And I said, "Could y'all help me off the road?" And they came running. You know, it was just it was really cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I, I I suspected you were in Houston, uh, and uh, did did moving back to Houston have anything to do with with the motorcycle accident, or were you already oh, no. moved back there beforehand? I'd already moved back. Okay, yeah, I'd moved back. No, I uh, moved to Houston probably four four or five years ago. I moved back home. You know, as, as my permanent residence. Of course, I have to be in Nashville so much. That feels like my permanent residence. But this is where I want to end up. This is where I want to retire. And this is where I want to be buried, right here in Texas. And I guess in Texas, you're, you're talking about the Mexican food. They've got the best. Um, in Nashville, would it be barbecue? 
Ugh, I don't like their barbecue. You know why? It's pork. I mean, it's that, um, yeah, it's pork. Our barbecue in Texas is like brisket, beef brisket. Yeah. Now, yeah. we do eat the pork ribs, but we don't eat that pork butt like they do up north. They like that real stringy stuff. But uh, And I'm sure it's great, but I was raised on beef brisket and <laughs> uh, sausage links and potato salad, baked beans, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and food's a big part of your, of your life, big part of your, um, of, of your comedy as well. I mean, why, why food? Well, it's all I'm allowed to do. You know, I mean, we, I was raised Baptist. What else can you do but eat? And most of us are overweight because of it. You know, it's like I heard this guy say one time, he said, everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we don't do these things, but buddy, the things we do, we overdo it. Yeah, you know yeah. that's why I've always had a weight problem because it's it's I love it I love food I I say I want to give the Lord a challenge in the rapture. <laughs> well, you you're really not that overweight. I mean, uh, uh, I, I mean you've kept your figure pretty good. You haven't seen me in a swimming suit. Say what? If you saw me in a swimming suit, you'd know. Uh, no, I you know I've, I've always been stocky and my weight has fluctuated. I mean, I'm not obese. Yeah, but um, I thank God I'm not because these knees are shot now. <laughs> Have you ever struggled with any problems with weight? Mm, I, I've never considered it a struggle because I don't really care. You know, as long as I'm not, you know, having trouble breathing or getting to the buffet on my own, I uh, I'm fine with it. Did you ever get grief from? Because uh, I know you said Bill and Gloria they kept all the baked stuff and the health food on their bus. Did you ever, did they ever get onto you for eating? Well, you know. That one video that Larry Gatlin walked up to Bill Gaither and said, you're putting on weight. Well, Bill got all under conviction, started working out and running and taking care of his body. But, you know, there yeah. comes a certain time when you just might as well give it up. Because yeah. if you're like 60, 65, and you are overweight for a while, and then you lose that weight, yeah. well, the weight may be gone, but you're going to look like a Sharpay. <laughs> because the the skin doesn't bounce back like it used to. And, you know, I don't know what's worse. I, I, you know, the good thing about being fat, it, it, it puffs out all the wrinkles. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey, uh, young adulthood, uh, you're in your college years in, at Liberty. I've heard stories that, that there's a lot of very well known, uh, Christian singers who came from Liberty. And, and you, and I've heard the story that Linda Randall, uh, would cut hair, and she would cut Guy Penrod's hair and some others for money, you know, on the side. That was kind of her side job. Do you have any stories of people we might know the names of who went to Liberty the same time you did? Well, actually, I was still at Liberty when Guy Penrod showed up with uh -huh. short hair, acne, skinny, you know, just. <laughs> I, but I remember that voice. Wow. It was like butter. Mm. Uh, uh, it was just so smooth and rich and full, you know, even back then. And uh, we became friends and uh, never knowing that one day we would, you know, be in the vocal band together. Yeah. Uh, and then Robbie Heiner was there one year when, uh, you know, have you ever heard of Robbie Heiner? Yeah, in fact, I saw him this week. Well, he was Jerry Falwell's singer at the time, and I was in the Living Christmas Tree production one year, and he was out singing Oh Holy Night. And I got, uh, I was kind of messing around backstage. I was kind of bored and all. And so, um, I got this long pole and got under, underneath the Christmas tree. Uh -huh. And me and a couple of buddies of mine, and we went out under the tree, snuck out there and stuck 
that pole as far as we could. We're trying to reach Robbie Heiner's hiney. <laughs> and we poked him one good time while he's singing Oh Holy Night. <laughs> and he, of course, started laughing and lost control, and we got in all kinds of trouble uh, from Dr. Falwell, you know, which I thought, please. When he was in college, he, he killed everybody. But now he's the owner of the college and is trying to corral everybody. But that was that was one of the fun things I remember, getting Rob behind her real good. And then the, uh, the the very famous beginnings of your comedy, you were traveling and you had a cassette player and you used uh, you had you used the church sound system. Tell me tell me that whole story about how how comedy became part of who you are. Well, when I first started traveling, it was only independent fundamental Baptist churches because that's what I grew up in and that's all that knew I existed. And um, you know, I just dreamed for the day when the Southern Baptist Church would invite me to sing. I thought that was the ultimate to break into that market, <laughs> the Southern Baptist market. Yeah. And um, I did that for eight years, you know, just sleeping on preacher's couches and uh, going from church to church. But I had to do something while the little old man in the back of the church would change the soundtracks. And back <laughs> in the day, every song was on a cassette tape. Yeah. So I'd lay the cassettes out in order of what I thought I was going to do, and then uh, I would talk between them, giving him time to change it. But I noticed that the stories I was telling between songs were getting longer and longer because people were laughing, and they were getting it. They were getting the message I was trying to present better through comedy than they were through the songs. And so I thought, I better dance with who brung me. You know, I want to communicate. I don't care how it happens. I want to communicate the gospel. I want to communicate that God loves people. And uh, so I started developing that. And then I did, you know, by the time the vocal band rolled around, I had my shtick down. Gaither wants me to join him. I'm doing these monologues on stage from my shows with the vocal band. He'd, ha- he'd turn me loose to tell a story. He would interrupt me from the piano bench. And at first I thought, what? are you doing and then finally i'd start sassing him back when he'd interrupt me well people started laughing at that and so it evolved that whole shtick that bill and i worked on for 13 years really evolved from him interrupting my stories and then i learned how to interrupt his and that's where it all came from so that's uh, the comedy i never set out to be a comedian i don't feel called to be a comedian now i've uh, don't feel called to be a singer either. I, I feel called to spread the gospel any way I can. And I was going to ask. Uh, I mean, is it just your personality? Are you just that comfortable when you're when you're on a stage at a homecoming concert or or wherever? But I'm particularly talking about homecomings. Uh, I mean, even even if I was a successful comedian, I don't know if I'd have the guts to just you know blurt out something in in front of a, a crowd that large and and uh, has it ever been risky? Have you ever said something and then wondered, oops, I shouldn't have said that, or or, or maybe Bill didn't appreciate that? Well, um, not anything about him. Uh, one time I picked up a water bottle and took a swig out of it. I, I said, whose water bottle is this? And Vestal said, it's mine. I took a swig, and I spewed it across the stage and screamed, Vodka! <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't say anything about that, but there is one time that I was on stage, and I I said a joke or said something that didn't get her any kind of laugh. And I said, oh, I'm saving that joke for when I go secular. 
you know, just trying to move on. You know, I wouldn't have yeah. no intentions of going secular, especially not at 48, and really had no intentions then or ever before because that's never been a goal of mine. I've never wanted to do comedy for comedy's sake, which really ended up why I ended up leaving the vocal band because after 13 years, it felt like all I was doing was making fun of Bill's hair. Yeah. And it didn't feel right anymore. And really what I know now is that God was moving me on. I couldn't hear the songs anymore. That was the worst part. And I'd sit there smiling on that stage till my muscles in my face were aching. Because I knew if I didn't, we'd get letters from people saying, What's wrong with Mark? So I, you know, I faked it for a year. And it really wasn't faking it. I never faked what I said or sang. I faked that I could hear it anymore. And it was just time for me to go. But early on, you asked me, did I ever feel uncomfortable or anything ever happened? Uh, not early on, but early. I was going to, let me back up. When I first started doing the shtick with Bill, we didn't have any crowds. When I first joined the vocal band, I mean, there were two or three hundred people in the audience at times. Sometimes it felt like there were more people on the stage than there were in the audience. This was before he discovered, you know, the homecoming uh, phenomenon. Well, I so I watched that grow. And then while it was growing, I was making fun of Bill. So by the time it got to 20,000 people, I'd already been doing it for so long. It didn't seem that scary. But one night when I said, I'm going to save that joke for when I go secular, uh, and I didn't think anything more about it. Um, at intermission, Bill comes up to me just shaking. And I, I know when he's like that, he's very upset. And I said, what's wrong? He said, you've got to go apologize. You've got to go apologize. I said, for, 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 for what? I'll, I'll do it. Tell me what I did wrong. He said, you've got to go apologize to the audience for saying you're going secular. I said, well, Bill, number one, I'm not going to go back up there and bring it up again, especially if it was offensive. And number two, I ain't going secular. And if they thought I'm going secular by what I said, then they thought I really think your hair's ugly. Because I make fun of your hair, too. But uh, surely they don't think I really think your hair's ugly, which I really do. But no. I And I said no, and I argued with him, and I refused. And I said, you know, up, up until he walked away, he thought I wasn't going to do it. But once I got back on stage, I really had time to think about it. And so I got up and said, you know, I said something stupid tonight, evidently, because Bill chewed me out at intermission about it. But I said, I evidently, I said a joke, and it didn't go over. I said, I'm saving that joke for when I go secular. I said, do you all remember that? I said, well, that was a joke, too. I said, where are we going to go? Tell me a country artist who has 20,000 people in their concert tonight. Go secular? What have they got that I would want? You can't talk about Jesus. You can't sing about Jesus, which are the two things I enjoy the most. I mean, where am I going to go? I have no intentions of going secular. I said, when I leave gospel music, I'm going to the house. And so basically that was it. And, but, I, you know, I would not have done it. I would not have apologized had I not meant it. And for, for Bill, you know, if I'd have said, okay, I'll go apologize and got up there and not meant it, well, what good is that? You know, all you're doing is reminding them of how stupid you were a few minutes ago. When you said whatever you're apologizing for. But I really had time to think it through. And I thought, you know, if there's somebody out there that thinks I'm using the gospel as a stepping stone to something 
quote-unquote bigger or better, you know, I would hate that. Because I really do believe uh, what I sing and I believe what I say. And you can ask my friends, I mean, that sit with me on my back porch. The minute the conversation can go to God, I want it to because I'm on the hunt. I want to know him. When I get to heaven, I don't want to have to be introduced. Uh, What style of music did you start singing uh, when you were traveling solo? Would you classify it as uh, what we call Southern Gospel now, or or what was it? I would guess it would be Southern Gospel, yeah, because I was raised on Southern Gospel. And, um, uh, you know, my first album when I was 11 was Southern Gospel. Uh Um, But when I... Uh, started traveling after college, I moved into more inspirational contemporary stuff for a while because I was young. But contemporary back then was like Sandy Patty. Yeah. And Amy Grant when, you know, the early Amy Grant stuff. Um, so I, and then my, my first love has always been, you know, what the Rambos did. Sure. And the Goodmans did. That was my heart because that's the first thing that turned me on my ear. And I never saw the magic, uh, of the Goodmans and the Rambos again, actually. I mean, uh, some people say that the vocal band has been that to them, but I was always in the vocal band when I when I knew of the vocal band. So I, it's different from being on stage and sitting out there and watching it. You know, when you're on stage, you can't really enjoy it as well as the people out there because you got to think about what you're going to do next. So the Rambos may have been doing that, but I never knew it. The Goodmans might have, you know... Uh, up there not enjoying it, you know, as much as I was. Or they may have been having more fun than I was out in the audience. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I tell you, I have sat in a lot of concerts, and I've never had anything mesmerize me like they did. If if you could maybe limit it down to, you know, one or two of your favorite Rambo songs, one or two of your favorite Goodman songs, what um, what comes to mind? Oh man, Mama's teaching angels how to sing. When they would do that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. And my, one of one of the songs that always pops in my head just around the house when I'm just hanging out. Too many miles behind me. Yeah. You know, too much to gain to lose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's always been one of my favorites. Did they both do and, that song? I'm sorry. Did they, did both groups record that song? Oh, no. No, I'm thinking of the Rambos right now. I'll get to the Goodmans. Okay. Uh, the Goodmans may have done Mama's Teaching Angels. Have a, I don't think well, they did I think did they that. did too much to gain to lose, too. Oh, yeah, they may have. But I love the Rambo version of it. Now, I love the Goodmans. I'm, well, it wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. You know that stuff? And the Lighthouse. Do you remember when Vesta would, well, you don't remember. You were not even born. <laughs> but Vesta would be in that black beaded gown that looked like one of those disco balls yeah yeah uh and it she, the spotlight would hit her and lights would go everywhere she looked like an electrical storm in a beaded gown and <laughs> there was so much energy and her hair was piled up and they'd hit that stage and oh my gosh it was just pure magic and when she'd sing the lighthouse oh you know i mean this was i'm talking years ago she had a great voice till the day she died yeah but when she was in her 30s and 40s it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And uh and I know especially with Vestal for me, every every time I was around her or saw her in person, I don't know if it was psychological or what, but you know, you could tell that there, there was something about Vestal. Did you ever did you did you experience that? If you did, did you ever lose it after working with her night after night? You know, um 
I lost the fan thing. Somewhere along the road, I lost the, you know, the ability to be a fan. Yeah. Because, and I don't know how that happened, because I so enjoyed being a fan. But I think it's I got to know them. Yeah. And realized that they're not the ones we should be fans of. They have exposed their gifts to us, and they have blessed us. But she doesn't have any connection to God that I don't have. Now, I loved hearing her pray, because when she'd pray, she'd quote scriptures to God like he'd never heard them. Yeah. And uh, and she'd talk about, you know, people being healed and stuff. And that's, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I've never seen it myself. You know, I pray for people and they die. <laughs> so I tell, tell my audience, if y'all want to see Jesus, get in line, I'll pray for you. <laughs> but, you know, because I maybe don't have enough faith, but... um. I really don't care if I ever see a miracle, to be honest with you, because Jesus said, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. Mm. And I couldn't believe anymore if if I did see a miracle. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. But I want to be one of those people that's more blessed, you know, that that you literally make it all the way to heaven walking by faith. I think that'd be that'd be fun. It is fun. I mean, that's all I got. But to answer your question, I did get sidetracked, didn't I? Uh, Vestal carried the, Vestal carried an aura all the way to the grave, but it wasn't, you know, I've, I've seen her in her pajamas. Yeah. I've seen her, uh, you know, we've eaten fried chicken together on the bus. And after yeah. a while, she just becomes like, like your grandma. Yeah. You, you know, you don't realize that this incredible gift is inside this woman after a while because you kind of forget until she opens that mouth to sing. But she had a she had a childlike faith. She took God at His word. Uh, I don't know if she interpreted everything just right. You know, she has now. You know, God gets the last word on scriptural interpretation. But um, I know she's home, and I know she's kicking up gold dust, and she wouldn't come back for nothing. That's what I believe. I mean, I don't know anything, but I believe that. And. Uh, but no, there, there was, there was a magic about being a fan. And I think the problem with some fans, uh, and I hate that word, by the way, but you know what I mean when I say sure, that. Sure, sure. Is they fall in love with the conduit rather than the water. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus said, don't let anyone put you on a pedestal. And don't put anyone on a pedestal. You're all classmates. You have one teacher, and that's Christ. And some of us in the class can sing, some can preach, but some can cook. And some can, you know, uh, drive a carpool for elderly people on Sunday morning to get to church. Hmm. There's no, you know, whatever God's called you to do is the greatest thing you could ever do. If he called you to be a ditch digger, as my daddy used to say. Yeah. He'd say, if God calls you to be a ditch digger, you'd have to step down to be president. (laughs) And I believe that. That's good. Uh, I think that whatever God has called you to do is the thing. It may not be the most glamorous thing, but it is the thing that will allow you to live a fulfilled life. And he knows that. That's why he's pushing you in that direction, I think. You know, I, I, I think. I don't know. You know. I mean, I used to be, I used to know too much. And now I'm like, that's what I believe, but I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm really a Christian agnostic. I believe, but I don't know. And and the believing, to as many as believed, 
To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And evidently with God, believing is enough. Hmm. Tell me about, uh, about Howard. Howard. He was like a big teddy bear, laughing, loved hot dogs. After the concert, he'd grab him some weenies out of the refrigerator and stick them in mayonnaise. He'd have a jar of mayonnaise in his left hand and a hot dog in the right. And he'd dip them in that mayonnaise and eat those weenies. As long as you'd let him eat them, he'd eat them. And Ricky or Diane or somebody would have to take them away from him after a while. But he was just what you saw. You know, that's that's one thing about these people. What you see is what you get. Yeah. And um, Do you think that's changed nowadays? Maybe people act like or feel like they have to to act like somebody different on stage than they did back then. I don't know because I don't know a lot of the younger artists. Uh, you know, if you weren't with the Gaither group, I I probably don't know you now. Um, <laughs> but uh, everybody that ended up on Gaither's stage just were really nice people, and yeah. I enjoyed all of them. And I never had any run-ins with any of them. You know, you'd think you hang around people for thirteen years, you'd well, I did. You know, I had a few cat fights with Oh Gloria, yeah. but that was usually over the the Bible, because <laughs> yeah. I was still trying to make Paul equal to Jesus, and she wouldn't have it, you know. And she kept working on me, and finally I fell in love with Jesus, you know. And I, I've known him since I was a kid, but mm. it's like it's not like I've gotten saved again. It's just like like God is this diamond, you know. And when I first met him, I only saw a, I only saw a facet of him, and the real. The, uh, it's not that God is changing. Let me start over. It's not that God ever changes, but the revelation of God changes. In other words, you see more as you get older and you learn more about Him. And the more that diamond is revealed, the more wonderful and kind and gracious you see that He is. So, um, you know, that's one thing I learned from Gloria. But all of our uh, arguments or wrestling matches through the years have uh, been uh, scriptural and philosophical things, nothing personal. Uh, does it does it surprise you that it may surprise some people that that you are uh, a deep thinker? I don't know. It, you know, I hear it surprises people, but uh, see, to me, all the humor, except for the stuff I learned to do with Gaither, that is humor for humor's sake. There's no redeeming value in it, other than the fact that it really does help the concert. It helps people get their walls down so that Vestal can kick them to the curb, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and David Phelps can usher you into the throne room of God. But, so humor breaks walls down. But in my concerts, now I'm seeing the full gamut of what, you know, I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, the singing, the, uh, humor, and then also delivering this message. And I hate to call it a message, but, cause I'm not a preacher. There's too many preachers out there who've never been called. Right. We don't need one more. And so I've never, and people say, I love your sermon. And I, I just shiver because I don't mean it to sound like that. And I don't want it to sound. I'm just talking off the top of my head. There's no notes. There's no three points in a poem. It's just, I'm just trying to share with y'all, that audience that night, what I'm going through or what I have been through or where I think I'm headed. And you can make up your own decision for yourself. You work out your salvation. I'm trying to work out mine. The difference is I get to let people watch me work out mine. And I talk about it. And I uh, am open about it 
you know, to a certain extent. Sure. Um, and so it's, you know, that's what I think great songs do. I may have said this earlier. I may be repeating myself. But a great sermon or a great song, they both do the same thing. They shed light. They shed light. Is that what you look for when you when it's time to record a new project? You you look for songs that uh, that shed light that that tell your story. Oh yes, yes. I look for stories that do that, and I look for songs that do that. And I know when I hear a song, and my heart starts ringing, like E.T. phone home, my heart lights up. Yeah, feels like a vibrator has gone off in my chest. Yeah. It's almost like this tuning fork. Oh, I'm hearing from home. That's when I know it's, that's, I gotta do that song. Uh, do you just keep your ears open all the time for music or is there a, a, a process where you're, you're... No, well the process for me, there is a process and the process is to decide you're gonna do a record. Yeah. And then go hunting the, you know, go hunt the songs down. Go yeah. find them. Yeah. Wherever you can. If you can't write them, find them. And fortunately, um, I've been able to write a few of them, but also I know all the great writers. I can go to them myself yeah. and or their publisher and get great songs, which is hard to do when you're getting started. Mm. You know, when you're a young artist, you better be able to write your songs and then hopefully they better be good because you're not only competing with the vocal talents of this, you know, the uh, professional artists that are out there. You're competing with the, the writing talents of the professional writers. So it's it's harder uh, to get started than it is to, um, you know, have had a career in this for 30 years. Then people know who you are and they, they want you to sing their songs. Uh, let's, let's pretend for a moment that, that what you do for a living, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter the, the living part. Let's just say that if, if it, you take money out of the equation altogether, uh, and I realize you have to live, so you have to make money, but let's take the money out of the picture and say, for whatever whatever reason, that's not important. And you look at the number one reason why you do what you do. What 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 would it come back to? Well, you know, you don't have to take you don't have to take the money equation out. It's still not that's not the reason. It doesn't even enter into the reason. Uh, I've never done anything for money. I've yeah. done what I loved, and the money has come to me. Yeah. I've learned how to give. And that's a law of, it's like the law of gravity. You can be an atheist and this will work. You know, uh, sow your seed. But also, you know, you hear those preachers on TV saying, plant your seed. And then they put their 800 number up there. Mm-hmm. You better check out the soil. You know, if you throw your seed on Interstate 40, don't expect tomatoes in the spring. <laughs> it takes seed and soil to produce a harvest. And when I invest into the kingdom of God, just like I invest into the stock market, I'm expecting a return. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the stock market, I'm expecting a financial return. When I invest in the kingdom of God, I never expect a financial return. I'm expecting a financial return when I get home. I'm expecting the reward to be, because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I invest in the poor, the needy, the sick, the disenfranchised, just because they're on TV, especially if they're on TV, usually. I, I don't, well, I just don't. Yeah. If they got a TV show... They need more money than I could ever give them. <laughs> and um, I look for ministries that are small. I pray about it, too. I ask God to send them to me, to let me find them. 
And uh, I know this could open up the door for every little minute, but I'm telling you, I pray over them when they come. And I've turned down more than I've given to. Because I think what you should do is find two or three things that you really believe in and then pour your life into them. And I learned that from Bill Gaither. Don't just give to every good cause. Give to a few and make a difference. And that's what I've done. And it's worked for me. Was that the question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's good. But if yeah. I could do anything other than what I'm doing or including what I'm doing. No, it, it was if no, it, the, the question was if uh, w- without thinking about the money and the making a living part of it, uh, of what you do uh, uh, as being a reason of, uh, to what you do. Oh, uh, that's yeah. never been a reason. Yeah. I felt called to do it in 1976 when I was in college. I felt the Lord really speaking to me. Yeah, And I said, okay, you get the word out, because I didn't want to. I wanted to be a businessman. So I said, I'll submit to that. I su- I surrender. I've always wanted to do what you want me to do. And the Lord said, well, I'm calling. And he didn't speak audibly. It was much louder than that. <laughs> and um, I said, okay, well, you get the word out, and I'll do it. And within a week, I was booked up through the end of the year, and I've not been unbooked for wow. 26 years. Wow. Well, ha- how does it make you feel? I mean, when you step back and look at it, and maybe even through human eyes, to to realize that that, that people people like you, people love you that much, um, and I know you give God credit. Uh, how does it make you feel to, to to look at that? You call it success, or uh, or call it God's work uh, coming to fruition there. You know, I don't really look at it that often like that. I um, am thankful, so thankful, that God found a place for this ADHD kid um, and something that I could do with my life that would hopefully bring people into the kingdom of God and would would never be boring. Because my one of my biggest fears is to be bored. <laughs> I don't ever want to be bored. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, I, you know, because I don't, you know, I can go everywhere. It, it's not like I'm famous, you know, I, honestly. I mean, I can go anywhere except the quartet convention and not be recognized. Huh. I mean, or a Gaither concert. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe one or two here, but it's not like, you know, who's a big star today? You know, if Barbara Streisand or something like that walked into a room, everybody's going to know her. Yeah. No matter what room in the world she walks into, I, that would be horrible, actually. Where you could never go to eat and finish your meal and your conversation. Because the thing is, if I get interrupted in the middle of a conversation, someone's going to have to remind me what I was talking about. Okay, let's switch gears and let's talk about um, about your website. Did it start with Hypermouth? It did. I can't believe you remember that. It was, did. It was, was, it, was it AOL or something like that? Hypermouth at AOL.com was my first uh, website, and then we moved it to marklowry.com as soon as we heard we could. How how did you first hear about uh, internet, email, and stuff like that? Oh man, that's you a remember? great question because I don't. I had one of the very first Macintosh computers. In fact, I had the first one, whatever it was, a 385K or something. Oh. And so I've been in I've been a Macintosh person all my life. And as you know, the computer was uh, I used to do my print newsletter. On my mm-hmm. Macintosh. Mm-hmm. And as things evolved, like the um, Internet came along, I just jumped in that. Email came along. And I don't remember when it happened or how it happened. It just happened. 
And now I can't imagine it not being there. Oh, I know. It's just amazing what you, and I, I remember getting on the plane when I was with the vocal band trying to describe to Bill Gaither what the internet was. And I said, Bill, this is going to be the biggest tool to reach people in the history of our world. Just trust me on that. Okay, okay, oh yeah, okay. And I said, Bill, you don't get it. You need a website. You need Gaither.com. And, you, you know, I was just going on, begging, begging for him to catch on. Yeah. And, um, and finally, of course, he did. But it really, my, my prophecy, I guess, came true. Yeah. But also, I think there's one more prophecy I'd like to give today that may or may not come true. And that is that video podcasting will one day make your television a boat anchor. I think video will be, video podcasting will be to TV what TV is to radio, hmm. and I could be wrong, but or else they will somehow figure out a way of to combine the two. Sure, sure. Well, I I've said it before, and I, I don't know how to to say it in an eloquent way, but but MarkLowry dot com on on the internet, it has just become such an anchor. It's become, I mean, in in the Christian circle, at least, I think it's become like an Amazon.com type website. It's just kind of, oh, uh, you know, I, I would, I would certainly imagine most people have that site bookmarked because even if you're not into Southern gospel, uh, there's just so much other stuff there. I mean, you, I remember back to the days you had your funnies, your, you'd have jokes and stuff. Right. And, we still have all that. Yeah. And so who doesn't like a good laugh? I mean, in the website, you're, you're always changing and adding stuff. And so. Well, it's it's a it, you know it's for the attention deficit disordered web surfer because a, an attention deficit disordered guy is putting it together. So, what I'll do, you know, like this summer I did eighty five Mark Lowry shows, and then eventually I'll tell you what's going to happen. It will stop. Yeah, you'll get bored. It will it will stop one day without warning. It will stop, and I I may never do it again. Yeah. But that that's the way everything has been in my life. I do it real hard, real hard, real fast until I get it figured out and I'm bored with it. And then I'm on. The, but fortunately, everything I've been interested in has been like another spoke on the hub of my mission. Yeah. Which is figure out a way to get the cookies on the bottom shelf. Figure out a way to take this gospel, wrap it in humor, and make it palatable. And make it where people get it. Because what good is it if they don't get it? Have you had uh, some, and you sort of mentioned this a little bit ago, I think. Have you had some sort of a, uh, call it a revelation or a, a new look at the word grace and what grace is all about? Because I've noticed in the past several years, especially with the God is Crazy About You tour, that um, that, that has become... At least I think much more of your focus. Than oh, before. it is. It is. Uh, was that was that because of your your background? Your well, no, I Baptist? think it's because. Uh, oh no, no, my background is is it can be very ungracious. Oh my goodness! I mean, as long as you're sinning the way they do, as long as you know, is <laughs> with most Christians, it seems like quote unquote Christians, it they got a problem with sin as long as it's not like theirs. Yeah. And so the thing is, all sin is sin. All of us need grace. Ain't none of us getting to heaven and have any bragging rights. So I say my whole mission now is to make sure every sinner that wants to come to church can get there, will feel welcome, won't feel um, like they don't fit in, uh, and will feel loved. And if they can't find a church like that, you know, start your own right there in your home. 
yeah. and throw the doors open, let everybody get next to Jesus, and he will fix what's broken in all of us. And I think we have become, over the past 2,000 years, at least in the Baptist circles, it's we all look alike. Yeah. yeah. It's like you come to Jesus and you go out that very same day, get a haircut and buy a three-piece suit. <laughs> How boring is that? I mean, we serve a God... Look at the forest of the field. I mean, the you know the flowers of the field. Jesus says, you know, I love when he says, "Does uh, they're not even noticed yet?" God takes the time to paint them, color them. Most will never even be seen by a human mind or human eye, but God is into color. God is into. Um, I mean, look at a rainbow. He's a creative God. He didn't mean for us all to look like you know. Billy Graham or Jerry Falwell or Mark Lowry or Daniel Britt. Yeah. He wants us to be who we are and love who we are. I don't think you can love your neighbor as yourself. Well, until you love yourself, obviously. Tell me uh, uh, about your time with the Gaither Vocal Band. Uh, that, that was 13 years, and, and, and you made the decision, uh, I imagine, what would have what wasn't a very easy decision to make. Uh, tell me about that whole process at, towards the end there when and you've alluded to it when you you oh, uh, you the last you, year I was with them. Yeah, you you stopped feeling the the music, yeah. and feeling the passion for it. Well, um, it just literally happened about a year before I quit, almost to the day. It just I was going. I got on my houseboat. I bought this houseboat. I just come off the road with the Gaithers. It's been a hard tour. I was ready for the summer. Oh, I was so ready. And this is, now this is when I quit. This is when I, I hadn't really decided to totally, you know, I hadn't made the decision. But I was thinking, oh, three months without having to travel, without having to hear from Bill every moment. And I love Bill, but, you know, every moment. And so um, I got on the houseboat. I hadn't been there ten minutes, and he called. And I just knew then. You do not, when you get in the vocal band, it's like the mafia, but it's a good thing. You don't get out until you either die or or quit. (laughs) A few have been fired, but not many. But um, so I knew then I had to go, but I already knew it. It just took a year for it to get from my head to my heart because these were the greatest people I'd ever known. These people were, it was like family. It's like growing up in a family that you hate to leave, but you know you got to, or you'll never grow. And I called Bill and said, I need to have a meeting. And he said, uh, he was at the studio. He said, why, are you going to quit? And I said, well, if you make me tell you on the phone, yes. You know, because I'd I'd never asked for a meeting before. He, you know, it wasn't hard to figure out. And he said, well, you know what? We don't need a meeting. You know, I asked you to stay for three years. You committed for three years. You stayed for 13. Let's thank God for 13 wonderful years. And so I immediately sent out a You know what? No, I'm sorry. I did not. He said, just give me a few weeks, you know, to uh, figure out what I'm going to do. So, like the next weekend, we were at the Billy Graham crusade. Well, Guy, of course, told David Phelps and Guy. I mean, sorry. Bill told David Phelps and Guy. And on the plane there... Uh, on Bill's plane to the Billy Graham thing, uh, it was just me and Guy and David in the plane, and we didn't really say much because I wasn't supposed to know that they knew because they had planned a meeting with the 
four of us once we got the Billy Graham crusade that I knew nothing about. Right. And Guy tries to tell me that I'm throwing the anchors overboard. You know, and I understand all this. You know, Guy's a very spiritual person. But he said, you're, you're cutting ties. And, and I'd worried about this. I'd wrestled with this for a year myself. It didn't like I just woke up one morning in a bad mood. Right, said, right. said, I'm quitting. The best job anyone could ever have. Uh, I wrestled with it for a year. The jokes weren't funny to me anymore. Creating new jokes had no allure. I didn't want to write any new jokes. I didn't want to think about his hair anymore. I uh, could not feel the songs anymore. And it was over for me. And and I would sit on that stage during that year and try to memorize the horrible feelings I was having. So that when I left one day and left and, 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 uh, and would regret it, because I, I was sure I was going to regret this, that I could recall those feelings. And and I have not had to recall those feelings one time. I have not looked back. They haven't looked back. It was, it was such a beautiful separation. It, no hard feelings. You know, I talk to Bill probably once or twice a week whenever he feels like calling or I call him. Um, I'm on the tour with them this Christmas and have been, I think, every Christmas since I left. So it's fun to go back and visit. You know, it's like going to visit Mama. Yeah. You yeah. you want to visit, but you don't want to live there no more. <laughs> and I love, even though the crowds, you know, we have, what, two or three thousand on a good night. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, it's so intimate. I can stand around out or sit around after the concert and meet everybody who wants to meet me. I couldn't do that at the Gaither concert. There's too many people. I mean, it 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 scares me sometimes because they crowd in so Tightly, I, I mean, I have to have my space. Uh, that ADD kicks in when I start feeling like I'm trapped. <laughs> and I think that's the key to Bill Gaither. He never made me feel like I was trapped. Yeah. We never had a contract. Hmm. He never made me feel like he was my boss. I was his peer. He would ask my opinion. He still calls and asks my opinion about things. And because um, we're friends now, you know, it's no working relationship at all. So I love it. I love my life. I love I love my life, and I really love me. And that's taken a long time to get there. Yeah. What, what did you think of, uh, of of the pick of Russ Taft when they immediately announced that? Oh, I was fine with it. I love Russ. I couldn't believe he'd want the job. He knew how hard it was. Yeah. You know, he hadn't sung in a group in a long time and hadn't, hadn't had to blend in forever. So he, you know, I didn't. I was sad, you know, uh, when he left because I mm. thought they sounded good together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell that the blend wasn't what Bill wanted, evidently. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. But he was there a minute and gone a minute. <laughs> but um, but I think they got a killer group now. Oh, yeah. I tell you, uh, I told Bill, I said, you got the group you've been needing a long time. Not that it sounds better than any group you've had before. Because my favorite group that I was ever in was me, Michael, Terry, and Bill, as far as the sound. That group was my first group I was in. and Well, Jim Murray was there for a little bit, and then he left, and Terry came along. And, oh, that blend, I've never heard it before or since with me a part of it. Uh, It just, it was amazing. But, you know, everybody wasn't on the same page. Not only do you need to sound good, but you've got to be on the same page, you know, spiritually, uh, emotionally, uh, there's a lot of things you got to, you know, you, 
you can't have uh, then there were never any fights and inner fighting at all uh, but there were too many you know pr- problems at home obviously from mm. michael english mm. and he would be depressed out on the road and it just it affected everything but uh that was the best sound i ever heard of a group that i was in talking about those old sounds those old uh Makeups of the vocal band. Did you uh, have have you heard of any talk? Uh, have you and Bill ever talked about doing some kind of a vocal band reunion or uh, bringing back a lot of the? Uh, I've only heard rumors of it from people like y'all, but I don't I don't think he has any intentions of doing it. Yeah, because he kind of moved. Done it. He uh, might. He might. But you know, I, for some reason, he's never had any big urge to do that. Yeah. I don't know if he thinks some of them wouldn't come or what. I don't know. But I've never asked him because I don't care one way or the other. I mean, whatever he wants to do. You know, if he's doing a video, I told him I'd always come to the videos if he wants me. But I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to do any touring with them. Yeah. Because I I just love what I'm doing. This God is crazy about you tour. I've never really enjoyed anything anymore. But, you know, that's hyperbole. Because I really loved the vocal band when I was happy there. Wherever I'm happy, I'm just happy. Yeah. You know, I was happy sleeping on preacher's couches. I didn't know there was something else you could be doing. You know, when I was um, traveling in my early career. So it's all been fun to me. And that's really a good sign of maturity, I would I would imagine, to be content with what you have and, and where God has you at that time. Yeah. Uh, the current tour is God is Crazy About You. How long has that been going now? Oh, forever, four or five years, and yeah. we'll probably go till I retire one day, or it may not. Who knows, you know? I just take it a day at a time. I used to change that up every year, but just about the time you got a good groove going and everybody's on the same page, you know, musically, uh, spiritually, and all that, it's time to get somebody else. Well, I don't want to. I, I'm getting old, and I want to stay around the same old people, like Kim and Michael and Amber and uh, Stan, you know. Until Now, if they want to move on, I'll, I'll applaud them. You know, I want them to go as far as they can go, just like Bill wanted me to do that. So, I mean, and there's always going to be somebody else in the wings, you know. So, Or I could retire. Who knows? As soon as God lets me, I am. Oh, I'm not implying that Stan Whitmire was a nobody bef- before he hooked up with you, because he certainly has a credit, uh, I mean, a, a list of credits that are, are, are very, very amazing. But what uh, what was it about Stan that it, that uh, that prompted you to, to call him? And, and, well, and Anthony, you know, I couldn't take Anthony anymore because uh, he was with Bill. Yeah. And so our dates would conflict. And Stan was the next in line for the, for, I mean, I couldn't think of anybody equal to... Anthony Buttstan. Yeah. And so I called him and he said, yeah. It's really all there was. There wasn't much to it. And then Lord's Song, they said, yeah. I mean, so I said, okay, come on. And How did you find Lord's Song? Through Norman Holland. Yeah. Their uh, A&R director at the time. And, um, you know, I took him out on the road and checked it out and just loved them, you know. I just love being around people who are countryer than me. <laughs> and they've got that South Carolina accent that's just, but they're just sweet. They not only do that, they do all the sound, you know, their sound man does. And mm-hmm. and Michael and Kim Lord are my road managers on the road. So mm-hmm. it's all in-house, you know. I try to keep the overhead down so, um, you know, we can, uh, you know, go to smaller places. Sure. And um, 
You know, Amber's from my hometown in, in Warner Robins. Is she? And I remember well, the Franks. I knew she from Warner Robins. I didn't know it was your hometown. Yeah, uh, her. I think it was her dad and uncle and Amber. They used to travel and or around the area at least. And I remember they were good. I remember I heard them at a Salvation Army uh, benefit concert or something. And really, they sang a couple songs. And I said, you know, of course I was just a kid, you know, then. I, but I thought in my head, I need to keep my eyes on on these on these people. They're good. And then lo and behold, you find Amber with Lord Song now. And then she marries another local guy down there. And I guess he's your sound guy, right? Yeah. So we're totally inbred. Yeah. I love that. This, I mean, you know, Michael's married to Kim. Amber's married to uh, Mark. They're all out yeah. on the road. And, uh, in fact, Kim and Michael bring their daughters sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Kaylee. So it's kind of, it's just a big family thing. It's just, um, you know, everybody loves Jesus, which is the only priority I have. Plus, you got to be able to sing on pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, that's important. A lot of people love Jesus, but they don't, they can't sing on pitch, so you got a problem. <laughs> do you all uh, – uh, does, does each member of the tour bring their own bus, or do you all pile on oh, the one? Oh, no, 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 no. We're all on the same bus. That's what makes it great. Yeah. No, you. it's all uh, – that's part of it. That's that's the, one of the most important parts of it, that you you create community that you just take to the stage. But then you've got the the formula that I know Regis Philbin always brought up with, but, but especially but you know in the Regis and Kathy Lee days, he said, you know, we just don't talk backstage. Not that we don't like each other, we've just sort of made that a rule. We just we live our separate lives. That way, when we come together uh, on camera, it's it, there's a there's a freshness and a chemistry there. Uh, but you're telling me about another, uh, I guess, secret to success is uh, is creating the community even off the off the stage and uh, behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, how can you get up on stage with someone you can't stand? And I've heard of quartets doing this. Not that they just had a little spat backstage like everybody has, but they can't, they hate each other. Huh. I'm glad you brought up JD. Uh, he, he was, I think, kind of like we were talking about you, you, you are, uh, well known for comedy and for singing, but then there's the, there's the there's the there's the side to Mark that uh, uh, that's really the deep thinker in, in the philosophy and the theology and and in the Bible, uh, and I'm I'm talking about not just memorizing a few verses, but but you really get into the theology. JD had that side to him as well, and I remember I was 14 or 15 years old working for a radio station, and I I went backstage. I wanted to get him to do a liner uh, to read a liner, and uh, and I remember. Uh, one of the group members said, um, wait till they get, he gets off stage. He's going to go back to the bus. He's not feeling all that great, but you come to the bus, knock on the door and, and we'll let you into the bus and he, he wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh Lord, he thinks I'm something big if he, if he wants me on the bus, you know, but, uh, but that wasn't it at all. It was, uh, it, JD had time for everybody, it seemed, it, even though he, he might come across one way, uh, maybe as very blunt, very, very honest and somebody you may not want to cross, but, Tell me about the the very personal side that you got to know. Well, I used to watch J.D. lean over at those homecoming concerts and whisper stuff into George Yonta's ear, and then George would die laughing, and that's when I decided I got to know J.D. And so I set my cap towards it, and I I, uh, called his home, actually, before his wife died, and she wouldn't let me through to him. (laughs) So once she died, I called him up, and uh, he said, let's go eat. We went to eat, you know. 
And uh, I heard all the stories that I've wanted to hear. And we were driving in the truck one day going to eat. And he said, you know, if I get to heaven, it'll be by the skin of my teeth. And I said, well, J.D., ain't nobody getting to heaven by the skin of their teeth. And, you know, I, I realized that he was raised in a church where if your hair touches your ears, you've already blown it with God. You're going to hell anyway, so you better, better get all the heaven you can while you're here. And so, um, you know, he was nearing the end of his life and was thinking about grace. And I was reading a book called The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. And I would tell J.D. things that I had read in that book that I was so excited about. And he would listen and, and then he would get real quiet and I could see it just mulling over in his brain. And I'd just be quiet and let it work. And pretty soon he would spit it back out into the most simple eighth grade vocabulary words. But because mm. he knew he only had an eighth grade education, but he was one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. Yeah. And he would put it in such simple words that were, it, it was even more profound than what uh, Chuck had said in the book. And I saw it dawn on him like a flower blooming, that God really does love him. And God really does like him. And that Jesus really did die for his sins, all of them. Not just the fact that his hair touched his ears, when, which come to find out was no sin at all. But it led him on the path to thinking he could never earn heaven. But the thing is, none of us can. Who can earn heaven? First of all, tell me where it is. Yeah. How are you going to get there? If he doesn't come get us, we're not going. And if his blood doesn't pave the way, you know, none of us are going to get there. And I saw J.D. blossom into a lover of Jesus, and I, I watched it happen, and I was thrilled to be there. A couple more questions. Uh, the one about the, the Gaither vocal band that I had, and I, you may get this question a lot. Uh, everybody wants to know something that they don't already know. Uh, I guess my question and along those lines would be the, with the vocal band or with the homecoming tour, um, All right. do you have anything that you could you could shed light on? Okay, let me think. You mean the current one or the ones I was in? Well, when you were traveling, was there something that happened regularly that 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 you didn't uh, that that the audience maybe didn't know about, but something that took place either that was funny or something profound backstage? No, no. Guy has hairy ears. <laughs> That's why he has long hair to cover up the werewolf ears he's got. Um, let's see. David Phelps had hair transplants. He didn't just lose weight; he got plugs. <laughs> and you know, I think it looks great. I think it looks much better. <laughs> Uh, but you can look at my Broadway video and look at him today and know that. Sure. Uh, let's see. Vestal's hair was a wig. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't know that. And that coconut cake wasn't that good. Now, wh- why not? I had to wait. I had to wait till after she's dead to tell everybody. <laughs> it was one of the driest things I ever put in my mouth. Now, I love her and I faked it well and I thought, but I sat and watched her. It shouldn't have been dry, but it was a bone the day I got it. And I've only had one, but I heard him brag on it. And uh, and I loved her, but that cake wasn't very good. Now, even Amy Grant loves that cake. Yeah. Well, she must have put more coconut milk in her cake than she did mine. I don't know. Yeah. And I watched the video on your website. She would she'd cut a hole and she'd pour the coconut yeah. juice in. Right? I don't know what happened, but it was it wasn't good. It was tasteless. I don't know. I don't you know that inspired me. I watched your video, printed out her recipe, and one night at my in-laws, I made that coconut cake. Was it good? It was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, my mother-in-law loves coconut cake, so she liked it. Let me see what else. Uh, but uh, see, nothing. 
if anything went wrong on stage, it was a it was a thrill. It wasn't something I would remember. It was something that I could play off on the moment, you know. Yeah. So it's like I looked for them, but there was never never anything that you know that I can remember. It's like people asking me to, to tell me about a good around Christmas time. You know, people who love Mary, did you know? Will call me and want me to tell them a Christmas story for their radio program. Well, I don't have any. <laughs> I mean, our, our Christmases. You know, you got to be poor to have a great Christmas story you know yeah. like my dad has got the best christmas stories because they'd get oranges for christmas yeah or uh you know his his dad would repaint a toy he had been given the christmas before yeah but you know that's because they were poor well when my dad had kids he'd become an attorney and was making money and he bought you know he would buy the store at least it seemed like the store it seemed like our christmases our christmases were so opulent and, and but at the time I was a kid, I loved it. I'd tear in there, and that eight millimeter would be going, and those big ugly lights would be blinding you, and you'd tear into those um, packages, and Mama'd be behind the video, you know, the eight millimeter camera. And uh, I watched those back not long ago, and our Christmases weren't that big, but they sure felt big. Everything's bigger when you're a kid, you know, and they felt huge. But it wasn't it wasn't too much, I don't think. But there there just aren't any great stories. And with the vocal band, there's a lot of wonderful stories that I remember. Once someone helps me remember, yeah. But I but I just don't catalog like the time maybe someone fell off the stage or or um, you know I, I I say something about it then and then I forget it. You know I say it when the audience will laugh and then it, it's after the fact. I don't, who cares? You know they fell off the stage. But if it's something you can play off off. Play off of immediately. It, yeah, I love that. Did you ever feel pressure uh, to to kind of be the savior of a program when someone did fall off a stage or something? I've always like felt pressure, even in a room. If I sense tension in a room, like between people, I will yeah. start using humor to let the air out of the room. Yeah. Or any situation where I sense there's tension, and if Bill has... Uh, uh, talked his way into a corner and can't get out, then I'd go get him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just kind of the way it worked. Mark Lowry today, uh, as always, uh, and this will, as long as the internet's around, I'm sure there'll be marklowry.com, uh, and, and you're doing some cool things with video and podcasting. Um, and, uh, and you're doing your God is crazy about you tour. You're still recording and even making DVDs, the one in Hollywood. That was fun. Uh, if, if you could pull back, and look at your look at your life from beginning to end, and and you have the ability to do this. Would would you would you remove uh, the broken leg incident out of your life? No, 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 no. I wouldn't remove anything because you know if you're going to learn anything about God from a broken leg, you're going to have to do it here. That's true. If you're going to learn anything about God from cancer, you're going to have to do it here. If you're going to learn anything that God wants you to know from MS or uh, tumor surgeries or I'm just trying to think. Of, I, I've never had cancer, but I've had all the others. I, you got to have it here. you got to learn it here. Now, I can say all that because I can still walk. And I wonder if I would be this confident about not breaking my leg if I was in a wheelchair for the rest of my life or if I'd broken my neck and couldn't even feed myself. You know, but with what I have had so far in 48 years, I wouldn't trade none of it. I thank God for all of it. 
even the bad stuff, because it has made me who I am. Have uh, has has MS opened doors that you wouldn't have uh, otherwise been privy to? Yeah, not, yeah, and I wish I'd never even brought it up. Actually, I wish I'd never told anybody because it affects. I don't have any symptoms except a little hearing loss in the right ear, but I've never had another symptom. Even the doctors are quite amazed that I never went on any kind of shots or anything. I just said I'm not gonna. You know, until something worse happens. Why would I want to take a shot once a week, have flu-like symptoms yeah. for three days a week, and uh, just hoping it will keep something at bay that is not even bothering me? So, no. Uh-uh. So, the MS is really irrelevant. I'm, I may not even have MS. You know, the doctors say I do, but, you know, what do they know? But I did break my leg, and it did force me to lie down in green pastures. You know, the Bible says he maketh me to lie down. Well, I don't have to make, he don't have to maketh me. I give him the material. I broke my own leg. He had nothing to do with it. But it did cause me to slow down, and I created the web pod, you know, the video podcast, got more into it, got more into something that is preparing me for something, which I don't know what it's going to be. But I'm, I'm definitely... You know, I, I look at everything that I'm interested in as a preparation for something God wants me to do. Mark, this has been so much fun. Uh, listen, I'm coming to Houston next week. Uh, good Mexican restaurant. Ninfas on Navigation. <laughs>